This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, the coldest case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. This is the Ion Travel Podcast with CBS News Travel Editor Peter Greenberg. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Ion Travel Podcast. This week, my conversations with some very interesting folks in Dallas, Texas, starting with Scott McCartney, Emeritus Travel Editor of The Wall Street Journal, with Jessica Upchurch, the Chief Sustainability Officer with Virtuoso, and a fascinating talk with Margaret Wyndham, the Chief Operating Officer of a remarkable restaurant and a remarkable and uplifting concept, Cafe Momentum. First up, our travel update with Scott McCartney. Let's face it, people have different sleep needs. While you love your partner, sleeping next to them might not always be the most comfortable. Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Maybe you prefer a firmer mattress and your partner needs something softer. Because of the individualized comfort that you get from Sleep Number Smart Beds, you and your partner will sleep better together. All Sleep Number Smart Beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. 
and their temperature balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. The smart beds even automatically respond and adjust to your movements so you sleep comfortably all night long. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So, Scott, is membership in the club worth it? I, you know, I think it's a, it's, uh, you raise a great question, and I think for most of us, no, membership in the club really isn't worth it. Um, airlines have given away club status, uh, made it a, a credit card perk. Uh, they've really been desperate to find uh, reasons that people will take their credit cards, because that's where their profits are coming from these days. They're selling frequent flyer miles to credit card companies. If you look at some of the financial statements of airlines, all of their profit is coming from selling frequent flyer miles. So club status, completely oversold, and you end up with, with a line of 80 people. At and a photograph of the carrot stick you would have had. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it is... Um, uh, symptomatic of many aspects of elite status. Uh, early boarding. Um, it's a. It's you know. It's a cattle call for group three. Well, but or, you know what? The only the only reason why you want early boarding is if you have two carry on bags and you need that overhead space before anybody else gets it. Yeah. It's like supermarket sweep. People are racing in there to find those overhead bins, and we came up with a document that was published. Uh, also by Delta for their gate agents. I found it at one of the gates, and I took a photograph of it. It went by every different aircraft type. So A320, A321, 737, A330, 757, 767. In those days, Delta had some 777s too. And it gave you, okay, passenger capacity, overhead bin capacity. And in every aircraft example, the overhead bin capacity could only hold half the carry-on bags of the number of passengers, assuming each passenger had only one bag. Yeah, it's, it's getting a little bit better with new airplanes from Airbus and Boeing where you can turn the bag sideways and they actually have enough space for the number of passengers. You know, this, this was a problem that airlines created by stuffing more seats onto the airplane. The overhead bins didn't get any bigger. Now they're finally getting bigger. But you can, you know, elite status, you can get many of the perks with the credit card, and that's, that's why everything has become oversold. Um, and so unless you're at the very top tier of a program, I, I don't think it's worth it to chase it. It's not worth it to be silver or gold or, or any of the middle um, tiers. Uh, they're sort you, of meaningless. They're sort of meaningless. Well, I'll, I'll give you another thing. Boarding groups. This is my big pet peeve, boarding groups. I'm going to give you my version of my flight today, the boarding group numbers, okay? <laughs> yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll be boarding by group number, so check your group number on your boarding pass and don't line up before your boarding group number is called. Okay, boarding group number one, someone with a disability. Okay, we get that part. Then it gets crazy. Boarding group number one, that's because the first boarding group is just people with disabilities. I get that. Boarding group number one, uh, anyone in the military. Okay, boarding group number two, anybody in the paramilitary. <laughs> You know, I mean, or anybody wanting to carry a weapon. Uh, boarding group number three, people who are on their meds. Boarding group number four, people who didn't take their meds. Yeah. Boarding group number five, somebody who overpaid for a coach ticket actually thinking they were going to get more legroom. 
<laughs> I mean, it goes, and by the time you get to uh, boarding group number nine, it's anybody else with a personality disorder. I mean, that's the boarding, I mean, stop it. Yeah, no, it's, it's really gotten extreme. Um, and, you know, what elite status, what, what used to count for people was the chance to get upgrades. Right. And you just can't get that anymore. Um, airlines have decided uh, that instead of rewarding their frequent travelers um, with the occasional upgrade, uh, they're going to sell those seats and people are willing to buy them. Uh, you know, it may be $45, it may be $150 or whatever, but um, those upgrades get marketed pretty heavily. It's the upsell. It's the upsell, and that leaves no seats for the, the elite status traveler. Well, you know what, Scott? It's more than just the upsell, because what I've noticed, and I, I heard this the other day, I, I couldn't believe the quote actually happened, but it did. Uh, a major airline's a head of frequent flyer programs was asked this question. Why is it? that the redemption levels for your tickets for frequent flyer award seats are three times higher than your competitors. And you know what the answer was? Because we can. That's what the market will bear. Yeah. People will just, they don't want to sit on the miles, they'll just redeem more than they should if they can at all. Yeah. And so the value of those mileage programs at a certain point is going to come back to haunt the airlines Simply because people are going to say, this isn't worth it for me anymore. Well, it's a, it's a really interesting question because um, all through the last several years, even in the pandemic, what, what we've seen is that miles, even though they've been so devalued, uh, they're still incredibly powerful. There's still uh, uh, people consider them a good value. The the lure of free travel is alive and and well. Uh, it is even though it's much more expensive to get that free ticket. It's actually more painful. Yeah, I mean it really is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I wanted to upgrade one of my seats going over to Switzerland on a coach ticket that was already outrageously expensive. They wanted for for an upgrade just to one class. Right, sixty-five thousand miles. Yeah. In the old days, sixty-five thousand miles was a first-class ticket. Yeah. Not an upgrade. It was the ticket. Yeah. No, I was I was shopping uh, today for my daughter and looking for you know you could get a, a coach ticket for about a penny a, 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 a mile. Um, that wasn't bad, and I thought, well, um, what if I splurge and send them business class? And business class used to be the great way to get value. You could get six cents for each mile, eight cents for each mile. I, when I did the conversion, it was two cents. Um, it, you know, better than coach, but um, still enormously expensive. But now something that's even more crucial, airline consolidation in the year 2022 and going into 2023, and not only the diminishing of service, but in some cases, the loss of all air service to certain communities. Yeah. We're talking right now on the second weekend of September, it's already started. If you live in Toledo, Ohio, you no longer have service from American, United, or Delta. Uh, Allegiant still flies it, but that's doesn't really qualify as an airline. It's like a flying club. It doesn't really give you the frequency of service that we, we come to expect in any city. So if you live in Toledo, Ohio, and you're listening to this show, you already know the problem. You can't get there very easily, and you can't get from there very easily without driving an hour and a half to Detroit. Uh, if you're doing business in Toledo, Ohio, and you're making widgets, who's going to want to do business with you if they can't get there to meet with you? Now, this is, not, this is not particular just to Toledo. Look at Ithaca, New York, Dubuque, Iowa, Moline, Illinois. Uh, we're looking at Eureka, California. We're looking at Islip, Long Island. 
all of these locations, and there are more being added every day, are either getting diminished service or losing service entirely. In the last year, United Airlines has severely reduced or eliminated service to 25 U.S. cities. And that number is growing across all the airlines. So where do you see this going, Scott? Is this just a, 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 you know, a temporary cycle, or are we going to have to live with this for quite some time? No, I, th- I think we're going to have to live with it for quite some time. Um, and, it, and as you said, it's not just the small cities. Um, it's also New York. Uh, New York has a, a lot fewer nonstop destinations than it used to. Um, some of it is economic. Some of it is the pilot shortage. I think the pilot shortage is going to be with us for a while. I think airlines are going to have to shift to less frequent flights on bigger airplanes um, in, in major markets. Um, but uh, the, it, when, when they're going to have to pay pilots more, um, they're paying more for airplanes. And the consumer is savvy. And people who live in, in places where they can drive to save some money, they do that. And that hurts the economics of the small town service. But that's uh, assuming they can save money in a town where those airfares could go up. Yeah. And, you know, we've seen because there's been so much consolidation in the business, even when you have two competitors, you don't have great fair competition. Um, so so uh, some of these markets have seen uh, really strong price increases. Now, there are other markets where I think there are sort of emerging battles um, because there, there are fewer business travelers, um, airlines are really scampering for uh, what are the what are the hot business markets um, where uh, jobs are being created? And so in Austin, Texas, or Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina, um, we're actually seeing more air service, more competition, um, because they're hoping that there will be more business travel. Um, so it's a really uneven market. And um, it, depending on where you live, um, because of consolidation, because of the economics of the industry right now, um, because of the pilot shortage, uh, you're just going to have fewer choice. And there's also one more thing. It's, it's actually the type of planes they're choosing to fly. Uh, those 50-seat RJs are not economical anymore. Yeah. Uh, in fact, one estimate is that they'd have to be 95% full on every flight just to break even. So American Airlines parked 100 of them. And right. They, and, and, and there there goes those markets. Yeah, and they, so they, they don't have the pilots to fly them, and they're not uh, economical at higher fuel prices. Um, and so you, you say, okay, well, we're going to fly a 100-seat airplane. Well, well, now, is that town big enough to support a 100-seat airplane when it could have supported a 50-seat airplane? And the answer in a lot of markets is no. So basically, people are going to be doing a lot more driving in those markets. Yeah, I think they're, you know, they're going to have to drive, uh, certainly to get cheaper fares, but to get any kind of uh, regularity of, of service, any kind of frequency. And, you know, if you don't have airlift... Your economic base gets hit hard. Uh, we've, we've seen this time and time again. And by the way, the model for this wasn't the airlines. It was the stagecoach. Yeah. You know, when the stagecoaches stopped coming to those towns, they became ghost towns. Yeah, this is a chicken and egg problem for airlines. Yeah. You, you can't get businesses to come if you don't have air service, but you can't get air service if you don't have businesses coming. But then there's something else that comes into play. Only in the last couple of decades, something called the EAS, the Essential Air Services Law, passed by an act of Congress, where airlines could get, emphasis on the word could, could get federal subsidies flying essential air services to communities that don't have it. Well, there's something else at play there. Uh, there, If you actually look at how many cities are served by the EAS, it's quite a lot. 
it's you know Muscle Shoals, Alabama. I mean places that, right? But yeah, you have to have airlines bidding for the right to do it. If airlines aren't bidding for it, who are you going to force to fly it? Yeah, and essential air service is really a misnomer. You know, the the list was created when the industry was deregulated in 1978. Um, so any any city that had air service in 1978 and and was in in danger of losing it, they got on the list. But it's it, you know population has shifted a lot since 1978. So there were plenty of cities where subsidized air service might make a lot of sense, but the federal government can't offer that because those cities aren't on the list. I I think you can make a pretty strong argument that Congress has been really negligent in uh, fixing this problem and um, being more. Um, tailoring subsidies for air service to where they're needed, not to the Muscle Shoals, Alabama. Speaking of negligence, you gave me a great segue here, especially with Congress. It was four years ago, Scott, that the United States Congress ordered the Federal Aviation Administration to come up with a set of standards for what a coach seat should be in terms of its measurements. And the FAA did nothing for four years. They're now asking the greatest rhetorical question in the history of aviation they're asking for public comment on our coach seats too narrow. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> well, the you know the 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 width hasn't changed much in coach seats. The pitch has. Um, the pitch has. The the amount of legroom you get. Um, the the width is determined by the the width of the airplane. The cabin seven thirty sevens are the same. What's changed is we're bigger. Uh, so a seventeen Speak for inch yourself. seat. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, you know the uh, the seven thirty seven is the classic example. Seventeen inch wide seat. Boeing knew that was too skinny at the time in the nineteen sixties when they were developing it. Seven thirty seven was meant to be a short hop airplane. Uh, so they thought, okay, it's tolerable sh- for short flights. Over the years, bigger engines, change, different wing. Now you can fly across the country six hours in a 737. And it's like this with, with other airplanes. Um, but the, the big difference has been the little skinny seats um, that allowed airlines to push seats closer together. And they had a choice. Give the passenger the extra room because you don't have a four-inch cushion uh, in the seat behind you, or uh, give the airline the extra room and, and cram in more seats. And of course, airlines opted for for cramming in more seats. Um, and that's just the just it's not just the seat; it's the idea of my head is so close to the person in front of me. Uh, or the person behind me, that uh, for a lot of people, there's a very different feeling in the airplane cabin. It's very claustrophobic. Not to mention uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, seriously. Yeah, no, and if your head is uncomfortable, you know, the rest of it's going to feel uncomfortable too. And there's not a whole lot of adjusting room. Right, no, there's no, there's no give. And when you're flying, as you said, a 737, I was in Toronto the other day, WestJet flies the 737 MAX, they're doing nonstop flights from Paris to Toronto on a seven thirty seven Max. Norwegian used to do one from Dublin to New York. Yeah, that's not comfortable. Yeah, yeah, I no. know. So there's consolidation going on too. That means we have to lose weight. Yeah, <laughs> well, well, that may be. My thanks to Scott. So what's the buzzword in travel these days? It's sustainability. But how do you move from concept to making it actually work? every time you travel. Jessica Upchurch, the Chief Sustainability Officer at Virtuoso, 
those guys with the influential and powerful consortium of luxury travel advisors, seems to have a workable plan. Graduation is a sweet occasion, but finding the perfect gift can be a bitter struggle. MMS.com has a solution. Personalized M&Ms. Just imagine the look on your grad's face when they receive a custom candy creation featuring their school's colors, name, and even their photo printed right on some M&Ms. It's a thoughtful way to celebrate their accomplishments and make the occasion even more special. Visit MMS.com to create your own personalized gifts and party favors for graduations, weddings, birthdays, and more. That's MMS.com. Use code WONDERY to receive 15% off your next order. Jessica, what's important to me, I think, is that how you get the messaging out in a way that people can relate to it and their eyes don't glaze over and nobody's finger pointing. People understand there's a process to understanding how when you travel, certain things go on. And I've always said that if you can understand the process and appreciate the process, that's when you value the product. But going back to the word sustainability, I'm going to give you the opportunity now, since I have not figured it out myself, define that for me as it relates to travel. Yeah, thank you, Peter. Um, appreciate you having me here today. And, you know, we at Virtuoso take it as three pillars. And you're right, people do think of sustainability multiple ways. But for us, it is protecting the planet, supporting local economies, and celebrating natural and cultural heritage. So those three balance. As essential components of the travel experience. Exactly. And so what we've done is we've really integrated that to bring that to the traveler's mind and to bring that into our network along to our partners and our, and our advisors so that those who are traveling start to understand that and factor that idea of sustainability into their travel choices so that those people who are doing good out here do well financially as well too. And of course, it's a matter of the, of the game of telephone, if you will, the chain of, the chain of conversation, because it's not you necessarily talking to travelers, it's you talking to the travel advisors who are having those conversations with their clients. Exactly. And so we do a lot of education um, and we've created a sustainability community where advisors and partners alike can do that. But that's been a big um, opportunity. And one of our real passion points is to educate the advisor so they do feel more comfortable having that conversation with their clients and to also go back and talk to partners to learn more so they can very much tell their story because their stories are beautiful. They really are doing amazing things. And that storytelling and sharing that with the client helps that along as well, too. You know, when I travel, I'm looking for uh, tangible opportunities, if you will, right? So that, and always good ideas. And some of them I actually have, and some of them other people have. And then, of course, can I embrace those ideas and make them practical and make them work? Meaning, if I'm traveling to Africa, it's one thing to know that if I land in Rwanda, I can't have a plastic bag. They'll, they'll cut it up, and they will never give me another one to use. I get that. It's in my hands. It's something I can touch. I can feel. I get it. I can see it on the streets. Boom. What are you learning from your advisors and their own experiences with their ideas that you can then implement? Yeah, so, you know, our advisors are always so great about giving us feedback. And one of the things that is always about how do you help me also tell that better story? Because it, this story of sustainability is also evolving. And so they, too, are wanting to evolve along with that as well, too. So we, we have different formats, you know, on our, on our virtuoso.com website that we actually share. We, we are creating a format of video that really helps. We're now also putting the, our partners' 
certification badges on the website as well for them to go and to be able to learn as well too, because they've been wanting, for those that are wanting to go deeper, that's a really key piece. Let me just rewind on a couple of things because a couple of the ethos that have really helped a lot of our advisors feel comfortable in starting the conversation is we've carried start where you are and no shame, no blame. And those two concepts have really helped people feel like, okay, if I'm just sticking my toe in the conversation, I feel good. If my foot's in the water, I feel good. If I'm running with it, I feel good. So everybody really can be a part of the conversation more and more and bring the feedback to us. So then we are turning around providing what they need from us. So many traveler experiences end up having one thing in common. They all relate to the story of the, of the placard on the bed saying, you know, let us not wash your towel, right? Right. You're going beyond that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, our partners, and we are really encouraging that um, through a lot of the best practices that we've done. We also have a council that shares some of those, but they are truly going to the, into the depths and the breadths. Um, all the way from land conservation to water usage, energy usage, food waste, you know, supporting the local economies from around the world, um, you know, small SMEs, looking at what, it, what, what you're doing even on your experiences as well, too, whenever you're out traveling. So it has a, it has a lot more um, openness to it and a lot of depth and breadth that is here to really say to go beyond that. And let me also say, it's great to also remember to walk out of your, your hotel room and turn your lights off. I'm guilty of something. Tell me. Well, in places where it's very hot, right, the air conditioning doesn't come on the room until you get into the room. Okay, I, I, you're going to hate me for this. I carry an extra card key from another hotel. I put that in the slot so I can keep the air conditioning on when I come back. You hate me now, don't you? No, I love your honesty because it, in all of this that we do, there are those certain things that really care about us and give us comfort out here and make us want to have a fun, enjoyable trip as well, too. Those are the components of the balance. And so if that's your one thing for you, Peter, that really works for you, find another way to do something different that balances those three legs. So that's really okay. And that's part of our no shame, no blame. Start where you are. Well, Great. then I'm quoting you because I'm doing it. I'm, I'm going to yeah. keep doing it. Okay. But yeah. all seriousness, I, I hear you. Yeah. I appreciate that you share that because I think that's part of the transparency for people to really rid of that guilt and find another way to do something else really beautiful out here. All right. So let's get down to, to, to a little bit deeper here. It's one thing to talk about travel providers changing policy, right? Some of what you see, some of what's back of the house, you don't know it. But what are your advisors doing with their clients to get them to do stuff? Mm. So, so that's that's really great. So I, let's just go back the back of the house. I want I want really your audience to know that a lot of the virtuoso partners are doing so many things back of the house that they don't know that they're doing because they already are really thinking about this in their own in their own lands. So the way in which we that they are actually talking to their traveler is they're actually showing them that the partners that they are already choosing or that they're considering choosing they're telling that story in that moment whenever they're having that conversation about where do you want to travel next? Where's the next trip you're wanting to go? And then they can find the part on virtuoso.com and be able to share that story. And they also are having, the advisors are also having better conversations with their clients about their personal values. And they're helping them align their personal values with their with their dollar value, with their currency value, so that that becomes amplified and actually really gets to the hands of the people that are doing good. All right, so let me give you the devil's advocate question. Please. Right. I honestly don't know any of my friends when they're making their travel choices, wherever they may be or whatever they may be, who say to me, you know, I'm, I'm concerned about their carbon off print, or, you know, or their carbon footprint. I, I'm not going to go until I know that. I haven't heard those conversations. Well, and you know, here's the thing. That's why on our side, we feel like it's a real opportunity for the advisors to bring it forward. It's not just an opportunity, but it's a leadership, um, you know, element of it as well. 
I know that we are having more and more clients coming. You know, it really is just a different way of what they're saying. It may not be the carbon footprint component of it, but what they are realizing is they care about local economies. One thing the pandemic has realized in the, you know, for all of us is that local economies around the world have suffered greatly. And the common ground here is you can follow the money. Exactly. And so that common ground for understanding by supporting local economies and by you traveling back to that country, people understand that's why there's three parts to the pillar, right? And you have to balance them out. So you have to also, people start to understand, well, if I care about one, then I have to, then I start to care about the other one because people, educated people, people who understand and really who can just make that common sense, you know, dot to dot really understand, oh, well, that affects that, that affects that, you know, what? then I actually do care about that. But I just need to think about how I go about caring about it more in a very simple, non-judgmental, easy way to be able to do it. There's a story I remember back in 1998. I took a, a group of friends to Africa, and they wanted to do the right thing. Hmm. Their idea in 1998, so that's 24 years ago, of doing the right thing was bringing pencils. Right? That was 1998. Correct. Pencils ain't going to cut it today. Right. There's so much more that the traveler does actually bring to the experience as well, too. And one of the things that I also know is um, when travelers, and I can speak to it for our own selves, when we know that a particular area has been really hit by whether it has been a hurricane or a fire, we've actually reached out to the partner and asked them, what are your actual needs? What has the community told you that they actually need? And let us bring what they actually need as opposed to what I assume they are needing. And so I think now people are wanting to not only just bring themselves and bring more more of their better selves out here. So we really are guests in people's backyards and in their homes and in their lands and in their community. But we're also bringing a, a bigger contribution to the world because more people also are realizing, take Africa example again, when they land there, the beauty of what's happening and they want to contribute financially as well. They, they see our partners doing such good things and they know that they can take those monies and operationalize them and get in deeper into the community to really make the, the greater change that, that the community also wants to be a part of. All right, so personal question to you. Please. When you travel now, what are you packing that you've never packed before along these lines, or what are you no longer packing that you used to pack? Great question. It depends on where I'm going. Well, give me an example. So I always, in my purse, every time I leave my home, I always have my own extra travel bag with me. So if I'm at the airport and I'm grabbing a snack or I'm grabbing a a magazine, then I always have my own bag to put anything in it. So I always leave my house, always 100% of the time, in my own purse, an extra bag inside. And I also leave with my own water bottle. So wherever I can, I fill up my own water bottle along the way, and I always have that, you know, with, with me as well. My thanks to Jessica. And last but not least, I visit with Margaret Wyndham, the Chief Operating Officer of the appropriately titled Dallas restaurant, Cafe Momentum. It's not only a great restaurant with a great menu. That's not the half of it. It's who works there that makes the remarkable difference. Margaret, it's not just a cafe, is it? Not at all. Tell me, tell me the concept of Cafe Momentum. Cafe Momentum is a post-release internship program for young men and women exiting Dallas County juvenile facilities. We offer them a 12-month curriculum that includes education opportunities, employment opportunities, life skills, social skills. It's what we call an ecosystem of support that we build around these young people to help them achieve their full potential. You know, when you get down to a definition of the word correctional facility, there's not a lot of correction going on. There's really not. And there's not a lot of rehabilitation going on because you 
you just can't throw people out in the streets when they're finished serving their time. You got to give them a path. That's exactly right. When we when we lock our kids up and then let them out and send them right back into the same environment, the same place, they're, they're going to do it again. Absolutely. They have no other option. They've been deprived of resources and opportunity. And our job is really to walk beside them and help them on their journey, but also help them to reach for those resources and advocate for themselves. So tell me how that works. Okay, I'm a juvenile. I'm 16 years old. I've committed a crime. I'm sentenced to some sort of detention facility. Now I've done my time, right? I'm still somewhat lost right right of course you, you must at this point come and talk to them while they're still in the facility yes we work with the we work with the county um since covid we've had li- limited access to go in these days so it's become a little bit harder to reach them it's remarkable though how how they communicate with each other and these young people are create their own telephone chain so they find out about us but we work with a lot of parole officers so parole officers um have a really close relationship with our program team. And committed parole officers, and I know so many of them, when they see hope, they, they're, they're not just, you know, warehousing somebody. They, they, they alert you. Absolutely. And this is, you know, some of our kids come to us because they need to make some money, and that's likely a reason that they got well, in trouble a, in the first place. Well, that's an obvious pathway in. Absolutely. So even if they come to us with that, just that one reason, I need to be here to make some money, I think they quickly realize there's so many other support systems within the organization that can really help them create a new path for themselves. So they're making money, but they're also learning about themselves. They're learning life skills, and they're You're teaching them teamwork. That's right. You're teaching them skills. You're teaching them something that might be actually passionate about. That's right. Um, we work with them for, we have a 12-month curriculum, so we work with them in a number of ways to Wow, I'm them. surprised. 12 months. That's, yes. that's a commitment on your part. Absolutely. And, you know, our kids are with us for, they can be anywhere from three months to 18 months. It kind of, each of our young pers- young people are, um, are their own unique situation. And we really adapt our program to meet the needs of each young person and meet them where they are and help them achieve the goals that they want to achieve, uh, but walk alongside them as to pr- participate and offer what resources they need. So let's, okay, let's go back to the scenario. Mm-hmm. I'm released. I go into your program. I go to Cafe Momentum. Right. I'm now a team member. I'm working for 12 months. What happens at the end of 12 months? Well, in their last, so they work through what we call our, their tiers of success. Now, so I could be a cook. I could be a waiter. You do I it could, all. You do it all. You do it all. Um, so part of the workforce development component of that ecosystem is that our young people learn front of house, back of house, and everything in between. They are really running the restaurant. So when I walk into Cafe Momentum, everybody who has contact with me right? Is part of this program. Yes. We do have adult supervisors and mentors and leaders and chefs, and we have an incredible chef team, but they're teaching our young people how to. How and where to, are the chefs coming from? All over, all over Dallas, really. So um, they're volunteering. No, they are part of our um, full-time staff. Okay. Yes. So we do have a staff of 20. Um, we have, we fundraise for our, um, for our operational costs, but our restaurant brings in about a third of our revenue. Um, so we are able to maintain. So you're not self-sustaining, but you're getting close. We're, we're a third of the way there. Um, I don't think we'll ever be there um, because I, I've, you know, often refer to us jokingly as the most inefficient run restaurant because we have, we could have anywhere from 35 to 55 servers in one night. Um, but so the staff to guest ratio ain't bad. That's exactly right. We, we have someone to take care in a of a world. Isn't this ironic turn. that in a world where staffing shortages are rampant Absolutely. in hotels and restaurants in the service industry, you guys are overstaffed. We've got we've got the young people to do it. But to answer your question, at the end of their tiers, they we pr- have worked with them throughout the year to find out what their aptitudes are, what they enjoy doing, and what they want to do next. What's the next step in their path? And we set them up with an externship 
So for the last three months, they're working part of the time with Cafe Momentum and part of the time with their future employer to kind of bridge that um, transition. So you are really the introduction into the real world. That's exactly right. One of our young people is actually here working at Virgin Hotels is where she did her externship, and now she's working here full time, and she's just killing it. She's so doing a great So you've job. got some success stories to yeah, talk absolutely. about. Absolutely. We're talking to Margaret Wyndham, the Chief Operating Development Officer at Cafe Momentum, which essentially has revolutionized the food scene here in Dallas because from a customer service perspective and a customer relationship perspective, it's a completely different dining experience as well. It really is. We often say if you come in and not really knowing what to expect, maybe a good meal, but you walk out with an exceptional meal. I Oftentimes when I eat there, I'm like, our food is so good. And our chefs say, how do you not know this? You know, we're, we are trained chefs and our kids are doing all the work, but you walk out with a full belly and a full heart because the experience is really incredible. My thanks to Margaret Wyndham, to Jessica Upchurch, and to Scott McCartney. And my thanks to you for listening to this Ion Travel podcast. For more conversations with the world's leaders in travel, as well as answers to your travel questions, be sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. And for all the breaking travel news, just log on to petergreenberg.com. The Ion Travel Podcast is produced by Amanda Morris and Anthony Protis Chung. For more content from Peter Greenberg and the Ion Travel team, visit petergreenberg.com. Ion Travel is a production of CBS News Radio. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader, too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, They'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, wherever you get your podcasts. It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, were exposed as frauds. But none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? Enter German music producer Frank Farian. He saw the success of acts like Michael Jackson and Prince, and he wanted in, no matter the cost. So he devised the perfect pop heist. Two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? They couldn't sing. But Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies and takes a never-before-heard look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when the truth came out, Rob and Fab were the only ones who got burned. Looking back now, it's hard not to wonder, why did everyone blame them 
and not the man pulling the strings. Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.